dog has got the most terrible bottom issue. Over to you, Rich. Hello, listener. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to what is uh, which podcast of late? This is 199. This is not the second podcast. No, it's not the second podcast, but it's it's a second podcast of the uh, autumnal semester. Fourth. Fourth. Okay. (laughs) So you haven't included me in the last three. Where have you been? (laughs) We've told everyone you went fishing. Not on the wiggly cage, evidently. (laughs) Uh, Last week I was fishing. Tonight I'm going fishing down to Devon. I'm trying to catch tope off the shore. Tope? That was one of my goals for this year. I wanted to catch salmon off the Y. And I had three this year, and I wanted to catch a tope off the shore, and as yet, I haven't had a bite, but it may What's happen. a tope like? A tope is like, um, it looks slightly similar to a blue shark. They're the shark family, and yeah. people would say, oh, a tope is a, is a small shark. It's not really a true shark in the same way as a bullass or a dogfish isn't a, isn't a true shark, but they are shark family, but they battle like bilio from the shore. You catch, you know, boat fishing, they're, they're pretty commonplace, really. I wouldn't bother fishing a lot, because you can't eat them, you put them back. But they do, they scrap really hard off the shore and it's a real challenge. So that was something I've set myself this year. So there's a question of freighting down to Devon and staying with my mate. And off we go down to various little secret locations off the North Devon coast. Anyway, welcome back, Rich, to the Wiggly Sofa. This is the Wiggly Podcast. And today I'm joined by Toast, Noah, Ricardo and... Farmer Phil. Hooray! Then we've got another review, and it says, "Thank goodness that Heather and Phil are back after their break, and are looking at cows." Yippee! <laughs> <laughs> Although what Rolf Harris is doing, panting in the background, I do not know. So this is from Yay, the return of the cows. <laughs> Five-star review. What was Rob Harris doing in there last week? Well, it was quite steep, and I was trying to catch up. (laughs) So I think it might have been me with the didgeridoo. But I don't know. It could have been the dog. Um, Well, we don't know. But anyway, Uh, Rolf Harris... It's probably toast. But I've got a little tip for you. You must go and buy a Rolf Harris painting, because apparently they're going to be very expensive in years to come. Right. Oh, you've got a new phone, Rich. New phone, Hef? Yes, new... (laughs) <laughs> is it expensive, Rich? Did you this spend story, no, Was this one of your, no, no, your, your luxury not. items no, well, that been, you've saved up for? As you know, I've been a bit hopeless with a mobile phone, but I'm trying to turn over a new leaf. But my last phone, because it, it wouldn't hold charge for, for more than... But that was probably because it was 15 years old and the size of a small house brick. It was, it was, it was no good. And, uh, and so, subsequently, um, I thought, well, I've got to get myself a new phone, got to get myself Gosh, a new phone. Gosh, that looks expensive. Sunday evening, a couple of weeks ago, Sarah and I watching a bit of telly. Yeah. Adverts on telly. Sun newspaper. Get your tokens. Four tokens. Free mobile phone. Sarah turned around and said, you should do that. So I thought, right, make a conscious effort. Go up past the garage on en route to where I was working. What a... Popped in, bought a newspaper, bought four newspapers, uh, or three other newspapers subsequent to that. Got myself four tokens for a new mobile phone, plus £10 free credit from Orange. So you are such a sun reader, are you? No, I don't read the sun. And having bought it four times, I would definitely say it's not worth buying. 
for sure. Did you enjoy uh, the bosoms? I did. I did. Page three is the only thing that's uh, that's worth looking at. It's nice and a nice little leisurely glance at that. But the rest of it, I do. It's actually, it is shockingly crap. You know, because <laughs> 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 there are some you know inane things that are quite fun, but. Yeah, some but of you've got your phone. It's just dodgy as it God, can be. But yeah, I've got a fabulous that's little phone. Painfully tight, isn't it? So that's good, yeah. isn't it? Anyway, I've got a little tip from you, which Michael gave to me before we came on air, which I thought might help you. Oh gosh, sorry about that smell, listener. That's toast. Oh, <laughs> good lord, that's awful, isn't it? I can't smell anything. How can't you? No. I expect it'll get to you in a minute. Oh, I actually feel quite faint with that. Um, I think she's been eating something terrible. But anyway, moving on. Oh, can you smell it, Phil? Not yet, <gasps> but I know what's coming. You oh. will do. Anyway, little tip for you: with your new phone, yeah. free from the sun, it's an orange phone. Yeah. So Michael says that what you need to do is on a Wednesday, you text the word "film" to two four one, and you get two for one into a film. Right. In the cinema. It, 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 That's that a handy weekly hint. <clears throat> now, for those of you that wonder what the weekly podcast is for, it's always here to give you those take-home handy hints. And this one is to go to the cinema. Now, this week we've got to find out about um, Gambia is Good Jig, um, where we have some Gambian lads on the weekly sofa talking about their project. Well, I want to know about chicken sex. This is really important because I, um, I've got a new cockerel and I don't know what he's going to do. I do. I'm hoping Rich will explain that. We're going to talk about the postal strike, but first of all, buzzards. Farmer Phil, tell us about the buzzards. Well, last year, Monty was with me on the plough a couple of days and here and there, and between us, we got up to a maximum, the highest number of buzzards following the plough, you know, picking the worms and catching the odd mouse we got up to was 13 at any one time. Right. Which at the time, I think I probably said on the podcast, I was pretty staggered about. It's a lot, isn't it? But we've exceeded it this year. The other day, I counted 17 buzzards following the plough. Now, from my part, I mean, buzzards are great. They're majestic birds. But to have that level of population of them and the increase, they eat mice, all sort of small animals and things like that. And some larger ones, I mean, they'll take rabbits. But if that number of buzzards are eating all (laughs) these things on the ground, then presumably the food source for things like barn owls and other species that want to eat those things is diminishing. And also I would assume that ground-nesting birds, things like that, so that the chicks are running around on the ground, that's good buzzard fodder, I imagine. It is, yeah, well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that, because earlier in the spring this year, our neighbours down below us, Mandy watched a buzzard systematically take all the chicks from a hen pheasant that were Mm. bringing her chicks out into the into the orchard and uh, you know had a lot and there's nothing that the the pheasant could do they just oh, they're more like so so you know I think in those instances those birds tend to be a little bit more savvy the chicks are programmed to be more savvy and behave in a certain way that sort of disguises them a I bit wasn't more, necessarily but. thinking that the buzzards were the sole criminal in this on the basis that the vast increase of things like badgers probably doesn't help either but what did occur to me was that embarrassingly for us in the countryside in the rural situation it really reinforces the fact that before when gamekeepers and probably farmers used to shoot the odd buzzard which kept the numbers 
down. Yeah. And now, because the penalties for being caught shooting a buzzard are so serious, well, you lose your gun. And you, they'd take your gun away they, from from you, wouldn't they? Well, they'd probably jail you. But the fines yeah. are thousands and thousands yeah, it's of pounds. A couple of grand, isn't it? But yeah. anyway, the upshot is that this method of sort of <laughs> underground control, as it were, is no longer taking place. The population has exploded. And we've seen the same with badgers, and I think that we're building ourselves a big problem without even talking about TB. I had the same conversation with a group of women from WI, WI Glade Street, and it made me laugh because the, one of the women, as she was, because they had their business before, you know, before they, they, the speaker, and uh, one of the women said that she was organising this event, to, I think, visiting the tulip fields in, in, in Holland, and anybody who wanted to go, let her know as soon as possible. But the, the timing was around <laughs> laughing. I always find it's quite funny. You only go to rural, rural WICs <laughs> women, you know, they're all so involved in their, in their farming. And, but we had this great discussion at the end about this massive population explosion uh, that we've experienced at a moment, uh, recently from buzzards. Because they are so common now. You see, if you go past the field, you often see a whole bunch of buzzards just sat in the field. I think it's a a problem where we've got these species that have no predators at all, that we're just making ourselves a problem. I I read the other day that where they've been reintroducing the red kite and feeding them, the farmers are starting to say we're having a serious problem because of the numbers of red kites involved, that they're taking perfectly good lambs. Really? And so that... These species, whether they be raptors or badgers or whatever, that have no predators, yeah. so there's no population control in place. Yeah. You know, where are we headed to, and how on earth are we going to sort the problem out when we realise that it is a problem? It does seem to be a real irony to me that there's these rules and regulations that mean that there's no management, and yet when I was driving home from London the other day, going down the M4. I reckon about every four yards there was a dead raptor on that motorway for miles and miles and miles and miles. It was just like raptor after raptor after raptor after raptor after raptor after raptor. I reckon there was a thousand, easily. Good God. And there we are, going on and on and on about being unable to manage a bird, and yet really... Cars are wiping them out in certain areas and managing them. It seems the wrong way round, doesn't it? I think it? that's probably an indicator that they're hungry. I mean, years ago, yeah, you wouldn't yeah, have seen a buzzard bit, eating worms. <clears throat> you would have never seen a buzzard following the plough. Gulls, hundreds of them. Yeah. But you never saw buzzards. And the yeah. fact that they are come for worms now, to me, indicates that they're hungry. Yeah. And I think they are. Dear listener, yeah. you have a look when you're next on the M4. Well, any motorway, but particularly the M4, I reckon there's thousands and thousands of them. Yeah. In the middle. Right. That's interesting. I don't know what the answer is, Phil. I mean, you know, it's difficult to condone the shooting of beautiful animals, but the reality is that we, we seem to have this, this sort of ingrained passion for reintroducing predators. You know, it's like... Let's reintroduce loads of otters into a space, which they have actually had a dramatic impact on mink populations. I think, you know, the mink... Mm. I haven't seen a mink for years on the Y, you know. I used to see them all the time, but since otters have come back, much, much fewer mink. I don't, don't think people appreciate that these animals which, in their particular environment, are top of the tree yeah. with no predators, they're just going to run wild, yeah. and they will do serious damage to the populations of other things below them, yeah. and I think they are. What would be a great answer to control buzzards is to introduce or reintroduce our European eagle owls, because eagle owls do have a bit of a passion for 
They like jumping a on juicy buzzards. They do. They? They do. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, it'd give you a fright. I've seen a European eagle out there. It'd give you a fright if it flew near you. They're wouldn't it? decent They're sized creatures. Yeah, yeah. Listen, we're going to see Princess Anne on Monday. Exciting, aren't it? Yeah. Have you met Princess Anne before? I've not met Princess <laughs> Anne, but we're going to take her a posy. No wire, no water. Right. And a bit of vintage la- lace. Okay. And give her a posy. Right. Will you uh, meet her in person, do you think? We will. will. We've got the full schedule. As you are downloading this podcast, dear listener, I shall be dressing up at the dentist. Oh, it's teeth day on Monday. Before Princess Anne. Oh, well, it's been a bit of a nightmare, but never mind. They still come out. Oh, nice. Mm -mm. (laughs) (laughs) You should have just seen what I saw then, listener. (laughs) Hopefully the implants are going in just before Princess Anne. So I'm going to dress up in my frock. Go to the dentist, get them all screwed in, yeah. and then rush to Rotherworth into a shelter. We've got a shelter, a wiggly shelter, right. where we've um, <coughs> set out some bits and bobs, and some flowers and some worms and things, and meet Princess Anne, have lunch, and then tell her about rural business. Yeah, yeah. And the, and the plight, and the enthusiasm, <laughs> and the, the whatever. Well, the gubbins. The gubbins. Okay. Yeah. Here we go, Rich. Here's Big Norm's review. Oh, Can big, you see big it? Big Norm. Okay, when was this written? Uh, uh, last week. Okay. Oh, here we go. Morning to you both. He says the podcast. I found this far more educational and entertaining than BBC's Farming Today program on Radio Four. Woohoo! So we'll download more. Heather, you are so bubbly and natural. It's a <laughs> it's a pleasure to listen to you gushing about your achievements. Thank oh, you. Good Thank lord. You. The land and the animals. Your questions to Farmer Phil, in brackets, if unscripted, both naive and <laughs> and insightful and delivered with a fantastic accent. <laughs> As if I could script my uh, questions. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Farmer Phil, I got the impression that your knowledge has been gained through years of practical research, which to my mind allows you to reel off the subject matter more from your experience rather than tertiary education i.e. other people's knowledge. On the whole, a new avenue for me to explore. Knowledgeable information from experience is far superior to speculative education from those guessing or try to bleep your senses. A lifetime of which has caused me to be the sceptic that I am. I hope I have not been too serious. I like the fun and laughter more than anything, but tend to be somewhat stayed with my writing letters. All the best. Norm Coates. Oh, thanks, Big Norm. I should just add that Big Norm being of Antipodean descent and therefore supporting the Australian cricket team, sadly to no avail this last summer, (laughs) is a regular contributor to Twitter. I want him on the podcast because he's got a Sean Connery accent. Has he? Yeah. Sean Connery's Australian. Yeah, because he was born. No, he's Scottish. Um, he was born and bred not far from his original address. He's got undertones of Brum because he lived there for four and a half years. He's got a bit of Yorkshire because his dad was born and bred there. He's got a bit of Leicestershire because his mum was from there. And he spent nearly every summer holiday there in the fifties. And Australian because he's been there since 1978. And he's very self-analytical. Oh, listen. What I want to talk about is chicken sex before we go on to Gambia is good. As you know, Rich, I've got a new lovely cockerel, a light Sussex cockerel. Yeah. But my mystery is, I can't quite get my head around how the chicks are going to appear in the eggs. Right. So I thought, as you were here, 
you could give me the birds and the bees, like my mum did all those years ago, but on chicken sex. Because okay. loads of people don't know this, I'm sure. Because I can't see where, where's the bits. Chickens have uh, just a, a vent. An no, event they don't know, or like, a vent? Uh, well, they have, they have several events during the course <laughs> of the day, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, you know, if you're on a cockerel, if you're a cockerel, then uh, you have quite a successful days, really, in terms of uh, procreation. But they, they don't have a... The cockles don't have a, have a penis. I, I think they have a cloaca, like a duck. Not 100% on that, but I know they don't have a penis. There's no sort of insertion as such, you know. But obviously, oh. what, they'll, what they'll do is they'll, they'll sort of saddle up to a, to a chicken. And uh, and you know drop their wing and, and and go kind of slightly sideways around the hen, you know just a little bit of a courtship thing. And often the hen will sort of drop down onto her hocks and sort of you know avail herself to the to the chap. And is she, 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 she bring a bit of Oh yeah, or they tend to get she, they tend to get. The does pro- she often only like the, it every the now and again? Tra- treading usually with hens. And uh, what, what can happen is if you get an over amorous cockerel, then they have favourite chickens. So if you have an over amorous cockerel with big spurs. And because they're mating with these... Spurs. They're the great big sort of... Little, yeah, the spiky thing that comes from the, the back of their heel, yep. if you like. If they're, if they're mating too frequently with certain hens, their favourite hens, then they'll often injure the hens along their backs, you know, putting huge, great striations, great big stabbing wounds in their backs. And before now, I've had to put little saddles on the birds to protect them from the, from the, the cockerels that uh, obviously enjoy those specific birds. Why don't or you separate them from the, from the cockerel until their backs heal up. Why don't you put some socks or something on his and it spurs, Well, you can... You can't... You can't <laughs> <laughs> put some socks on the spurs. In, th- in theory, you could cut off a spur, but they will regrow quite quickly. And also, there are implications with cutting too close, close to the leg because of, you know, from, from bleeding and things like that. But um, anyway, she's up but, for yeah, it daily. So, so, she, so the, mate, the hen will tend to get... The hens will get mated. Usually, mating will occur um, more... Um, you know, it goes off in the wintertime. You know, the birds aren't, aren't particular. And they'll, they'll start to mate heavily in the spring, you know, throughout the summer. If you're incubating eggs, often if you're too earnest and you put your eggs in sort of February, March time, they won't be fertilised. So it's often better to wait until you know, April, May, June to incubate some eggs or if you've got a broody hen, put them under the, under the hen around then to be sure of a good fertility rate. So just step back a bit. So we've now we've done the dirty deed. Yeah. And so now how am I going to know if the egg is fertilised then? Well, you won't know immediately... You can tell if an egg is fertilised because it has a little white spot on, on the yolk. But when you put your eggs underneath a hen or in an incubator, you, you, will, you will be able to tell after a week by candling them. And candling is simply shining a bright light through the egg. And within that egg, then, you'll be able to see like a spider's web, like a blood-red spider's web, or a solid chock of body, which is the developing chick. So after a week, you'll be able to see whether the eggs that you've got in the incubator or under a hen are fertile and are growing. Prior How to do that, I do that you'll, then, you'll with a candle? Yeah, if you've got a really bright... No, not with a candle. If you've got a really bright torch, you know, do it at night time, obviously, when it's dark, but get a really bright torch and put the egg over the top of the, the torch and the light will shine up through the egg. You can get the little devices, candling devices. You can buy a specific candling oh, device. Oh, you but wouldn't if you've got, want to do that. No, no, so if you've got a torch already in the house, just use that bright torch. Little, one of those little bright... Those little sensor LEDs that Wiggly sells are very bright ones. If you put the, uh, the egg on top of that so as the light shines through it. Excellent. You can buy those at the Wiggly Wiggly's <laughs> website. 
www.wigglywigglers.co.uk. So you can Otherwise called a torch, but now are they're you, called uh, a handling device. Are you planning device. To, to grow your own chickens and have a few of your own? Yes. To get Farmer Phil plucking. Absolutely. I've already had 12 eggs from eBay, which were unsuccessful. But I think okay. that uh, your yeah. timing comments have just uh, indicated why they probably were unsuccessful, because yeah. we bought them in the wintertime. It's a postage thing as well. Sometimes the eggs the, we can, bought them can in get the damaged summer. when they're rattling around in the post. Sometimes they can be good, sometimes they can't. Did we buy them in the summer? Yes. Oh. Well, they didn't work. And also expensive. I mean, you know, the eggs on eBay, because there's loads of people bidding for certain, you know, certain clutches of eggs, they, they, you, you can get, like, a dozen tens eggs cost you, like, 12, 15 quid. Yes, oh, that's they madness. Did. Yes, yes, they, yes, Bombing, they did. Bombing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, they did. You need more money than cents yes, to earn to do that, Yes, they did. <laughs> I think <laughs> the best idea is to put some eggs on eBay myself. Yeah, yeah, well, that's right. Yeah, put eggs on eBay. That's, that's, that's a good thing, but don't buy them off eBay. But that's like anything on eBay, really. It's not. It's a. It's a seller's market on eBay. <laughs> Did you see me on the telly? It's the no, postal I heard strike about today. It, postal strike today. They have all walked out, and it means there's no wiggly deliveries coming, and no postal deliveries going. But right. don't you worry, dear listener. You know we won't let you down. We will send your stuff through business post, through other carriers, but you will get your parcels. Darn them. <laughs> Darn them. What do, you think, what do you think the future of Royal Mail is then? I mean, what do you, what do you understand by the, the tactics of the employees and the unions at the moment? What's your sentiment? I just despair. I really do. I just think, my gosh, have you not noticed that everything's changing? And if you're not competitive, you're going to get wiped out by those other people. And I just despair because people haven't got the time to continue with these arguments and you just got to get on with it. And I, I, I don't know the detail, but I do know... Well, that's it. the point. The, the employers and the unions, I've heard several interviews with both sides and they cannot tell me what they're arguing about. Right. Not what makes the slightest sense. I heard from a postman mm. yesterday who said that the point was that he was going to be made part-time and change his contract of employment. Well, as far as I know, you know, with Wigglers, we've had to change people's contract of employment. You know, those girls have had to alter how they work. They now have to do 12 Saturdays in the future. They've got less hours at some times a year. And that's what we have to do to be competitive. So, you know, what, from my point of view, as a mail order company, gosh... It's a, I'm it's worried a, it's a because thing, we need to get the orders out. Yeah, it's a difficult balance to be had. But it's striking is unfortunate, and I... I'm not really sure it's the answer, is it? I don't think so. Well, I'd suggest, given that there seem to be competitors in the wings able to take on the business, there is a changed contract preferable to none at all. Wise words, Farmer Phil. Gosh, now we've nearly finished. Oh. I think before we should go, though, I've done that third part of the, uh, the Chicken Run episodes, especially for my mate Richie Pike. Lovely. Well, why don't we have that now? And then next week we'll talk about Gambia is good. Uh, Well, I don't think you can do that next week because next week is going to be a slightly different format, I believe, so that we'll have to put Gambia is good to the week after. Cool. Oh. oh. You're not in charge of everything. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Okay, chicken to this. Roll the tape, Michael. I'm just filling up the corn bin. This is usually a weekend thing. 
or at least I try to make it a weekend thing because there's nothing worse than coming down in the morning from the top of the field and realising you forgot to fill up the, the grain and then having to spend more precious moments just before you scuttle off to work to fill up the the wheat uh, barrel but I'm going to, um, what I'm going to do this time as well is I'm going to mix in a little bit of oil uh, just a little bit of vegetable oil in with the, in with the wheat and I've got some poultry spice and it just just sticks to the wheat lovely. Years ago, you know, when, when I was fish farming, uh, I um, we just used to mix up all sorts of medicated feeds, sort of oxylinic acid and oxytetracycline and, and all sorts of interesting antibiotics to treat the fish because they used to get enteric red mouth and, and all sorts of... Um, Hellish diseases, really. Most of the farm trout that people buy have, have had, uh, or have, or you know, any a, a kind of a serious disease at some point during their overstocked and highly stressed lives. We used to, God, we used to you know, wet down the, the pellet with uh, with oil and then uh, and then sprinkle in the required dosage of white powder. And uh, I like feed the fish. I'm doing exactly the same with the chickens, you know. I just uh, just mix it. It just helps that the poultry spice to to stick to the grain. I mean, another another thing I've done with uh, with with grain for the hens is to is to mix a little bit of diatomaceous earth in with the food. And I just think it perhaps it gives them a little bit of a lift, you know. It makes them more robust. And certainly feeding with uh, with DE and and poultry spice does help them get over molting faster you know it just adds that little bit of uh, extra nutrition to their diet and, uh, and and just equips them with the ability to recover from molting a bit quicker and consequently of course they'll come on to lay a little bit sooner again so yeah it's worth it worth that little just extra bit of expense and uh, and a little bit of time somewhere between the last recording and now a friend of mine gave me some banned some cockerels i asked him did he mind what would happen to them ultimately he said no no so we've got a whole bunch of bantam cockerels kicking around at the moment and of course they seem to have this kind of juvenile crowing competitions they're pretty birds but you just just can't you know you just can't there's no point in keeping them and and consequently you just you you can't get attached to them at all so I suppose uh, it's better to eat something that's attractive, though, than something that's, that's unattractive. Unfortunately, our big cockerel, I had to uh, had to dispatch because he became so aggressive. Just unpleasant. And Sarah, you know, you would go in the chicken run and get chased around the chicken run. And he started doing it to me, so so that was it. And um, I did roast the old boy up, and despite the fact of a bit of slow roasting, he was still a bit rubbery. So, uh, so Jack and George, our terriers, have done well off the back of that cockerel, but I'm seriously thinking about not doing any chicken breeding next year and just keeping a, a few hens. But, you know, there's probably no point in getting another cockerel. I mean, a cockerel, in many respects, does keep order amongst the hens, you know, but I think we'll see how we go and uh, just keep our, our old, like, lovely old, light Sussex. And, uh, and I've got a, uh, a couple of little bantam hens and an ostrilorp. And a couple of warrens, you know. So a little bit of a mix. I do like the light Sussex. So they're such an attractive bird. And this time of year, they've got their full autumnal plumage. Having completed their, their molting, their late summer molting, they do look wonderful. So round and plump and clean feathered. How many eggs coming from the chickens at the moment? I have to say, a bit of a dry spell on the old laying front. I'll move their pen again soon, their run. They... They get a much larger run in the winter time because there's because there's less grass growth, so and they need a little bit more space to make the most of uh, of those scratching opportunities.
You can hear the hens rattling around amongst the ash leaves around us. I've noticed even the big hens can get out from underneath the fence now that I I did last year for the geese. I put all the all the chickens that we hatched this year in the geese run. That made a lot of sense to give the birds a lot more running room than they had originally. We had an incredible mite infestation in the chicken house earlier on in the summer and the only way I could get rid of the mites was to creosote the hen house and that did work but they were everywhere I just you know they slipped under radar and you know, obviously hadn't cottoned on soon enough but the birds went off the lay at the wrong time of the year and uh, there's something up here you know so when I eventually got round to inspecting the hen house after a busy summer I realised that all the little nooks and crannies and the edges of the roosts and uh, the nest boxes were inundated with mites. Some brown and some freshly red, having feasted on some poor unfortunate bird over the night. So anyway, they had to, uh, the chickens that is, had to cope with the smell of creosote for a couple of days. But it certainly got rid of the mites. <clears throat> they don't like that one little bit. It is creosote substitute these days as well, so obviously some of the nasties that were in the, the original creosote aren't in there anymore, but it still serves to bump off mites, which is good. And preserve wood. The other condition the hens picked up was uh, scaly legs. And again, a, a mite of sorts that seems to burrow into, under the scales of the, the chickens' feet. And they, the scales sort of lift up their legs become a lot fatter and a lot untidier, a lot rougher looking and originally we, we used uh, surgical spirit and, and it didn't seem to have much effect but certainly when we, uh, we put some Vaseline on the bantam's legs certainly the one bantam she had these huge lumps on her legs and, and I think they'd, they'd just grown over the time that she'd been broody so we vaselined her legs and, and literally these, these lumps of scales that are puffed up from the, from the scaly mite uh, fell off her legs completely and uh, healed up really quickly. So uh, that vaseline seems to be a, a winning formula. It certainly cleared up these old birds, a bit susceptible to it. I think once you've got it, it's very difficult to get rid of though and it, I think it probably sort of keeps coming back. Someone may be able to tell me otherwise, but um, we get reoccurrences of it. Especially in the older birds. The younger birds don't seem to be as prone to scale mite. Well, it's pretty much the end of what's been a fabulous autumnal day. Birds are just stocking up now and filling their crops before they go to bed. It's important to make sure they have some tasty treats before bedtime. So from me and the chickens of Common Hill, I think that's a, a goodbye. Lovely. I like your chicken doos. Good. Rich. Good. They're corking. So Gambia is good is not next week. It's the week after. But it <coughs> is lovely and we did have a lovely time. And if you want to buy something that benefits Gambia is good, go to our catalogue and you will see a micro garden. But you'll hear all about that next week. No. The week after. Episode 2001. Or even 201. Exactly. <laughs> Bye from me. Bye from me. Bye from me. Hey, Rich. Have you got a favourite product in the new Wiggly catalogue? I have. 
Oh, Have you? Yeah. yeah. What would it be? Ross Savage. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, I really thought you were going to say Wigloos. <laughs> the product that you produce yourself. The Wigloos. But no, yeah. Ross yeah. Savage. <laughs> If you'd like to buy Ross Savage, she's only fifteen pounds. I'm, sure I'm sure she'd appreciate you saying that. And we do take credit cards for her. And uh, if you go to the Wiggly catalogue and look in the back, you'll see Ross in the available for purchase. <laughs> Very good. <laughs>